Welcome to Baptist Humanity First Podcast. I am Chris Ryan, along with Peter Evers, the CEO and president of BAMSI, as we do our Ask the CEO segment. Peter, how are you? I'm good, thanks, Chris. How are you doing? I am well. Appreciate you joining us. And the focus of our questions today are around uh, what's happening with the state and if there's going to be potential changes in several key areas. First, outpatient treatment. Uh, question about that, and folks want to know if um, what they've been hearing about potential changes to the outpatient process are true. So um, kind of take it from there. And if, if there are going to be changes that the state's going to be implementing. Well, I mean, I think one of the things that's happened this year is the roadmap. And we've talked about that uh, before, Chris. And, you know, we, our agency uh, is not a community behavioral health center as designated by the state for which we all remain uh, sad because um, that is that was a big loss for us when we didn't get the um, when we didn't get the award from um, from Mass Health and from Massachusetts. But I think what we're doing now is we're saying, well, you know, there's 26 of these uh, hubs, if you like, um, but there's also another three or four hundred clinics that are out there that are providing essential services to people who won't be getting rates that are enhanced because of the community behavioral health center um, designation so we are advocating for all of those other smaller clinics like ours um, that as you know has recently got the certified community behavioral health uh, stamp from the federal government we really need uh, enhanced rates as well so that we can uh, pay our clinicians the last three years taught us a lot about um, mental health about behavior and you and I have spoken this about this broadly, Chris, that in some ways the pandemic sort of drew the curtain back um, for people who, are, who struggle with depression and anxiety and loneliness and, with, and, and um, being withdrawal because basically large swaths of the population uh, experience that. And this is a moment in time where people are talking about mental health, talking about how to maintain their mental health talking about lowering some of the barriers to get treatment, talking about the fact that it's not a terrible thing to ask for help. I've never seen a moment like this, but are we going to are we going to miss out entirely on this if we're not able to carry rates that will pay clinicians to come and do this work, this essential work, rather than going off to work for one of the venture capitalists' um, um, sort of uh, toys like Better Help, which is all... Um, you know, done um, remotely. We're, what we're asking for in Senate Bill, and sorry, in House Bill 2006 and Senate Bill 760 in the state budget, which is coming up, what we're asking for is a 20% raise in, in all of those rates for our clinics so that we can be competitive to hire. We have many vacancies across the state in all of those clinics, and people are on long waiting lists. And this is something that we can advocate for to say, look, you know that mental health is really important. Now start to, you know, put your pocketbook where your mouth is and make sure that the the rates that we can pay our master's level clinicians and our psychiatric prescribers and our nurses is anywhere near competitive with the rest of the world. Um, and this, I think we'll go an awful long way to providing that kind of resource to get back on track so that those people who are on long waiting lists can be actually seen. Yeah, it's obviously, you know, a key point. And when you think about um, 
outpatient care and also some of the other services that Bamzi has um, really been become prolific in over the years. How have they changed in a post-pandemic world? And are you going to get back to a point where the services are what they were before at the level that they were before as they were staffed before? Yeah, I mean, it's a good question. It's, um, you know, there's a, uh, there's a lift uh, in, in Europe, they're called funiculars, and, and one of the lift goes up, the other one has to come down. And mm-hmm. Our economy is a little bit like that. The need for behavioral health services is increasing as the economy struggles and the resources are less. And that's certainly true because of inflation for people. People are really feeling it. We need to get back to a place where there's more um, balance between the resources available and and people's wellness. Um, and you know, we, some things we learned um, from from the pandemic, Chris. We did learn that we could go remote, but not everything can be remote. Especially the people that we see. People that we see have multiple issues. They're dealing with you know kids who have problems in school. They're dealing with losing jobs. They're dealing with rents doubling in some cases, especially in places like Brockton, which is a gateway city. All of those pressures are coming down on families, and we are one of the the safety net providers you know we're not interested in venture capitalist money that charges people something that only rich people can afford we're interested in providing the services for those people who work day in day out who are the backbone of our society and have been named essential because they put the country on their backs and they did the work during the pandemic it's about time we we provided a safety net system for those people. And that's what we need to get back to. That is Peter Evers, the CEO of BAMSI. Join us here on the Humanity First podcast. The other question is uh, in regard to occupational day habs. And you know, what are going to be some of the, the changes given upcoming legislation, uh, if there's going to be any changes there? Yeah, our day habilitation services have probably struggled the most of all of our services over the pandemic, um, just because we have seven, we have eight day habs, we're actually consolidating one of them, so we're going down to seven, where we provide services for people who are in our residential programs and other providers' residential uh, homes. And they come to day hab uh, every day and they receive occupational therapy, they're uh, physical therapy, they do exercise. Um, and actually, last Friday was a wonderful day because we had an open house for the, our legislators uh, at the Stoughton Day House. And it was wonderful because the legislators came, senators, reps and their aides. Uh, they got a tour of the place. They got to meet with the staff, the staff and our person served. And it was so wonderful because one of our person served, his name is Arthur, um, uh, came in in his wheelchair when we were doing the um the program we were speaking and uh, and he made a plea for transportation he said you have to be able to get me to this program because right now i can't you know uh, uh, other people have to bring me and it's not right i should have and he made this impassioned plea in front of our legislators and it couldn't have been better scripted and it wasn't scripted at all because it was wonderful and the, and and the legislators get to get to see how important it is that our people are getting these services and they're meeting their maximum potential as human beings. But what's really important in the day hubs is the is the fellowship, is is how people build relationships, people with developmental disabilities, and it's really something to see. And what we are asking for is the state to support that line 
uh, of business, which really struggled. Over the pandemic, we couldn't get people to programs because of uh, transportation, because you couldn't put more than two people in a van. Uh, loved ones didn't want their folks coming to have because they were worried because all of them have uh, special medical needs as well. And, and many, many of the programs closed across the state. We didn't. We didn't. We kept uh, them open. We kept incurring losses. We had help uh, from the state to keep the, to keep those places open. We redeployed our staff back to the residential programs where our folks were. We were really nimble in, in getting around that. But we need to get back to a place where we can be fully funded so that we can reopen all of those services and, and get the transportation right. And House One's investment of $200 million in day hub services uh, is, a, is a start, but we really need to increase the DDS Community Day work line item as well, so that we can get more of our um, re more resources into supporting these people. There is a direct line of increased um, uh, capacity that we're providing now. More and more people are getting back into the programs, but we especially need um, help um, in you know the probably the four or five million dollars that we lost by keeping our day hubs open over that time. So I think what we're doing as an organization is encouraging all of our staff to write to their reps and their senators and say, look, these are really important things that you need to support and you need to fight for so that we're, we're not dealing with vacancy rates that are high, that we're not dealing with uh, low wages that people are having to deal with, and that we're not turning away individuals who need our support and care. We're a human service uh, agency and we are meeting people's needs. The best thing that we can do at the moment at budget time is write letters to our, um, our representatives and our senators saying this is what you need to support. Um, and we can have we can help people if people are interested in doing that. I can send them the templates um, and it would be great if we had uh, a lot of support from our from our staff here and our families uh, encouraging our legislators to um, to support what we need to happen for our programs to remain healthy. Yeah, and how important in your view is advocacy moving forward? Because, you know, obviously folks get frustrated with wages. You know, we've heard from a lot of people on the podcast who are upset with uh, vacancies uh, within the uh, within their various departments um, throughout the course of the, uh, the, the entity. And, you know, Obviously, people are upset about those things, but how do you turn that into, you know, a positive where we heard, obviously, from a couple of people that said that it's very difficult for them to do their jobs and to get out of anything other than, you know, kind of um, survival mode uh, because of the lack of, of workers that they have and how they're trying to constantly cover shifts. So kind of two questions there. Both the biggest things we hear about throughout the organization are A, wages and B, um, a need to address, you know, workforce and having more people available in order for people to be able to do their jobs and kind of get out of survival mode. Yeah, and of course, those two things are incredibly closely linked, aren't they? The vacancies that we have in the organization do nothing to help people stay because they feel oftentimes like they're overwhelmed because they're asked to stay uh, for additional shifts or they're covering different shifts. Um, people get tired and they burn out. The advocacy really is to say, it's about time this state stood behind the essential moniker that is put on our people. And it is, it is so true. 
that our frontline workers are the essential workers uh, in the Commonwealth. And that's where I think the stories that we hear from the workforce, the stories that we hear from families who appreciate the work that we do and the and the caring and the and the and the environments that we put their loved ones in need to speak up and say this is not cheap. This proper um, high quality care costs the Commonwealth and this Commonwealth. I'm proud to be a member of this Commonwealth because I know that they that our legislators do pay a lot of attention to uh, the letters that they get and the calls that they get. And they say every call that they get is worth about 50 votes, you know, so they do take notice of that. And it's so much more powerful when somebody who is doing this work, this incredible work, who who deserves to be paid a lot more, actually makes the statement as opposed to, you know, a CEO of an organization uh, or somebody in a different position. And, and that's really where the rubber hits the road. That's when, you know, Representative Cassidy or Senator Brady or Rep Dubois is going to say, yeah, these are the these are the people, these are the real people of Brockton and beyond. And, and I need to listen to them. And it really does make a difference. The final question is, what is the the future of BAMSI? And are there is there new emerging leaders in the organization? Well, it's, um, I'm glad you asked that question because a couple of Friday, Fridays ago, we had the latest iteration of our new and emerging leaders. We had about 20 folks who went through that. It's, um, it's a pretty rigorous three-month program, um, and it was wonderful to be there to celebrate with those folks. Many of them spoke about what it meant to them to be identified as a leader and to go through that process where you learn about you know, soft skills development, you learn uh, about bigger picture I issues of leadership, about how you bring people with you. Uh, and they're an extraordinary group and it was wonderful to be with them for the morning. Um, and I would encourage anybody in the organization, you know, we are an organization that, uh, that values diversity uh, and equity and inclusion. And everybody in this organization is a leader and everybody has the potential to move through the ranks uh, if we, care enough about people and, and offer people the chances to do that. And BAMSI, I think you ask about the future of BAMSI. I think we're doing a pretty good job of investing in those people who are going to be our future, Chris, and we can always do more. Uh, and I'd always like to hear from people to, to get their opinions about that. But New and Emerging Leaders was a real concrete example of the investment that our current leaders are making in our future leaders. And it was... Um, it really was a moving ceremony and a real nod to the future of this organization. Well, Peter, as always, appreciate uh, your time. And before we end this edition of the podcast, I think we should talk a little bit about how the podcast is going to be changing moving forward. We're going to be adding uh, video elements and uh, broadcasting from the Easton Community Television Studios. So big, exciting changes. People are not just going to get to uh, listen to the podcast, but see the podcast moving forward yeah i'm looking forward to it and it's going to be really about me finding out the stories that people are coming to the table with whether that that be um you know members of our community uh, such as the, the mayor of brockton who we're working on coming on the program or folks you know from the organization who has a, have a specific uh, skill set uh, that we want uh, them to talk about it's um 
uh, it's great. It's uh, it's uh, the next iteration, I guess, of the of the podcast, which is very exciting. You'll also hear from Peter at the beginning of the the podcast, addressing some of the issues in the community, uh, also statewide and and nationally as they affect Bamsey and the community uh, surrounding Bamsey. So it's going to be uh, an exciting change as we uh, kick the podcast up a notch, uh, beginning uh, next week. Peter, as always, thank you so much for your time. Thank you, Chris. Take care. That is Peter Evers, the CEO of BAMSI. I am Chris Ryan. This has been the Humanity First Podcast.